Hey, Outcomes Rocket Nation, Saul Marquez here. I want to talk to you about Natera, a leader in personalized genetic testing and diagnostics that is transforming how we make critical healthcare decisions. Natera is revolutionizing the standard of medical care with next generation cell free DNA testing. Its non invasive blood tests provide critical health insights to improve outcomes and enable earlier and more targeted interventions that lead to longer, healthier lives. Be sure to check out natera.com to learn more. That's natera, N-A-T-E-R-A.com to learn more. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Such a pleasure to have you here again. I'm super excited today as we continue the series that we've done with Natera. Today's episode is going to be fascinating. It's going to be on non-invasive prenatal testing. And today we have the outstanding Dr. Russ Jelsima with us. He's currently the Senior Medical Director of Women's Health at Natera. He has 25 years of experience in maternal fetal medicine, practicing in urban and regional settings. His work, it's focused on prenatal diagnosis, including ultrasound, chronic villus sampling, and genetic amniocentesis. Dr. Jelsima is particularly interested in ensuring that families receive the most accurate and scientifically based information regarding the health of their children. He received his medical degree from Wayne State Medical School in Detroit, completed his residency in obstetrics and gynecology from Butworth Hospital in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and a fellowship in maternal fetal medicine at Wayne State University. Dr. Jelsima is board certified in both obstetrics and gynecology and maternal fetal medicine. And what I love most about him is that he loves to just keep it so common sense and helps all of us understand the basics, which is what we all need with this type of testing. So Dr. Justin, it's such a pleasure to have you here on the podcast. Thank you, sir. Yeah. So really, you know, the the thing that we're going to dig into today is NIPT non-invasive prenatal testing, really just to level set here, it's just a method used to determine the risk factors for fetuses uh, born with certain conditions. And and we're going to learn a lot today. And so what exactly is NIPT testing and who should get it? Well, as you said, NIPT testing is uh, testing to determine which mothers are at risk for having a baby with certain genetic birth defects. As doctors understand it, we talk about non-invasive prenatal testing, NIPT, it refers specifically to the use of cell-free DNA. Now, all of us have cell-free DNA to determine the risk, specifically. So all of us have cell-free DNA in our bloodstreams. Living cells, they die through natural process called apoptosis or through disease process, inflammation, or infection, resulting in the spillage of that cell-free DNA into the bloodstream. So all of us have cell-free DNA. In pregnancy, there's cell-free DNA from the pregnancy as well in the mom's bloodstream. And the proportion of that cell-free DNA we call fetal fraction. Unfortunately, that's a misnomer and has led to misunderstandings because the perception is it's directly from the fetus. It's really from the placenta. We should call it placental fraction. So the placental cell-free DNA spills into the mother's bloodstream when cells die under natural process. And that is the cell-free DNA that we're evaluating when we look with NIPT. Long answer to your first question. The second part is that I think everybody should get it. Just like obstetrical ultrasound to screen for birth defects, everybody should have an IPT. Got it. No, fascinating. So, you know, you, you mentioned, Dr. Jelsima, the, the history, and I, I think history kind of lays out some interesting insights, no matter how we look at it. And in NIPT, there's history. So talk to us about that 
in prenatal screening and, and just the, the different things that we could learn about? Well, I'd actually like to go back to the almost the beginning of time, but not quite um, beginning of uh, obstetrical screening. So back in the 1980s, early 1980s, when I was a medical student, when we talked about screening for risk for trisomy 21, we knew that as mothers age, their risk increased. And so we offered screening to women who were 35 and older, but the vast majority of women 35 or older didn't have babies with trisomy 21. So it wasn't a very good screening test, best we had. Then we introduced looking at markers in the maternal's blood, mother's blood, not self-free DNA, but things like AFP and HCG. Depending on the level of those markers, determine the risk of aneuploidy, chromosome problem for trisomy 21 specifically. And we called that maternal serum screening. We added ultrasound. And even with ultrasound, looking at the baby's neck and serum markers, the likelihood if you had a positive test, the positive predictive value was only 3 or 4%. So it wasn't a great test, but it was better than what we had with age. Then we looked at babies with ultrasound at 20 weeks. Didn't help a whole lot because half the babies with Down syndrome looked perfectly normal on ultrasound. That led us to cell-free DNA in 2011. Wow. Okay. So 2011 is when it started. Yes. Okay. So, you know, you mentioned all of these iterations as we move to cell-free DNA, the accuracy goes up. And so let's talk about accuracy when we look at cell-free DNA testing with NIPT. Sure. So exactly. And this is the part is that when we talk about accuracy by itself, parents sometimes perceive they think of accuracy as a diagnostic test. So when we talk about mammograms, for example, the most common screening test that OBGYNs offer, order, they understand it's a screening test requires a biopsy to confirm. So we talk about accuracy of mammograms and biopsies, but physicians usually focus on the biopsy accuracy versus the screening test. Parents focus on the accuracy of the screening test. Compared to what we have been doing, it's very accurate. So if your test comes back positive, Unlike the serum screening, which was a three to four out of 100 positives would actually have a baby with Down syndrome, here it's 90% of those who have a positive test. So the accuracy from a screening test is much better. You still need, key point here is a diagnostic test of some kind, whether it's chorionicville sampling, as you mentioned earlier, or amniocentesis, to confirm the abnormality. Got it. Okay. This is the first step. And then you need the diagnostic test to, to do the rest. Yes, typically you'd need a diagnostic test. Now, let's say you had an uh, NIPT and it came back high risk for trisomy 21. A patient comes to see a high risk pregnancy specialist myself. Not all will have genetic counselors available. So I pitch, put a pitch for genetic counseling, but that's not available for all and maternal fetal medicine specialists. But we start with ultrasound. And if we look with ultrasound and we see that the baby has a lot of fluid around it, for example, or there's a major birth defect of the heart, that now raises the likelihood of trisomy 21 much greater. However, as I said, half of babies will look perfectly normal. So a normal ultrasound after an abnormal NIPT doesn't eliminate the risk of a trisomy 21. Got it. No, good to know. And by the way, folks, if you didn't get a chance to listen to the episode on counseling, um, genetic screen counseling, definitely check that out. We'll leave a link in the show notes for this episode as well. Just a phenomenal talk track with some of the stuff that Natera's doing in that space too. This stuff is not easy. And uh, a lot of assumptions are made and it's better to just be super clear about everything. So glad you brought that up. So really, if you get a positive result, what happens? Well, I think the key part here is before we even get the positive result is that the counseling by whoever orders the test, the physician, the midwife, whoever it is that orders the test explains that this is a screening test and uses, if they need to use an analogy or metaphor like mammogram or pap smear so that the patient realizes when she gets that phone call, Hopefully she doesn't get an email, but hopefully she finds out by phone call from the nurse or the MA or the physician that your test is positive. It does not mean your baby has the condition we've screened for. That's a key. And that's where you mentioned uh, the podcast you did with Sheetha Palmer, my colleague, 
we have a great Netera the opportunity to, for patients to call ahead of time even and ask, hey, what's this test? How accurate is it to answer your question? But once you get the positive result, I think it's important, again, to couch it in the language that this is a screening test. It doesn't mean your baby has Down syndrome. Because when I've called parents, the first thing they hear when I say your test is positive, my baby has Down syndrome. That's not true. And so we need to make sure that. Then have them come in if the genetic counseling is available, provided either by the genetic counselor or by the high-risk pregnancy specialist and an ultrasound. And we're going to recommend invasive testing, an amniocentesis or a coronavirus sampling to confirm the findings that we have. Now, maybe we can, by ultrasound, we see something that suspects it, it raises suspicion. We're still going to recommend confirmation. Sure. So then, you know, with a positive result, just wanting to understand this further, it's positive. So does that likely indicate that it's 90% chance that that is the case? That's how I'd word it to you. Yes. If you were with um, yeah. a significant other in front of me sure. today, I'd say, sure. You know, this is like there's a nine out of 10 chance with Natera's current technology that your baby, in fact, has trisomy 21. Okay. And we would recommend and there's a one out of 10 chance it doesn't. Yeah. So it's not 100 percent. But to sure. confirm it, say so you need to have uh, amniocentesis. Yep. Makes sense. And then in case of a negative, it's a negative. People usually don't do it additional testings or do correct. So no, that's correct. So if you have a negative test, you take a deep breath of reassurance, just like a negative mammogram. Yeah. We would again say, this doesn't mean your baby doesn't have trisomy 21. There are false negatives, but it greatly relowered your risk. And if you have a normal ultrasound, that's going to further lower your risk. So it's not zero, but on the order of one in a thousand or one in 2000, it's going to be very, very low. So be reassured, but it's possible. And again, this gets back to that differences between um, the placental cell-free DNA and the fetal cell-free DNA. The fetus can actually have trisomy 21, where the cell-free DNA from the placenta has gotten rid of that, simplistically, the 21st chromosome, and it comes back negative. So we call that a false negative. Yeah, yeah. Back to that placental fracture idea, right? Where, where the difference comes in. Yep. Yes. Fascinating. Super educational. And so we're diving into the next step here. You know, you guys are always, Natera, you guys are always coming up with the neatest things, thinking ahead. Really, I mean, you guys are thought leaders in this space. So what are the latest you guys have come up with in NIPT? Well, I think the, the biggest has been the large study that's been done prospectively. That means going forward, looking at NIPT in women of young age and older age, and looking at chromosome problems like trisomy 21, as well as uh, 22Q, which is a microdeletion. That particular work had almost 20,000 patients from around the world. Patients were enrolled where they had NIPT, but they also, also all the pregnancies had what's called chromosomal microarray. So karyotype tells us how many chromosomes there are. And if they're missing big chunks or, or have additional chunks, that's how the terminology I use of DNA. Uh, my genetic counselors, are, colleagues are probably uh, cringing right now, but that's how I talk. But there's something called chromosomal microarray where you're looking at a more of a microscopic for smaller pieces of chromosomes. We call those microdeletions that are there, or maybe there's additions as well. And so the study of those 20,000 patients looked at patients with NIPT and then compared their microarray which is the gold standard. That study resulted in a number of papers already, but three major presentations at my specialty, Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine, last year. The first demonstrated and that their ability to screen patients who were 15 years of age or 25 or 30 was just as good as those for 35 or older. And then we applied something called Panorama Artificial Intelligence, which was looking at our prior couple million, two million tests that we'd done, developing and improving the algorithms, as we say, and applying it and showed we still had a very high positive predictive value, as I said, over 90%. The second study, which I think is the most landmark, was the uh, presentation of 22Q, 
which we'll talk a bit more about 22Q, but 22Q is a microdilation. These kids look perfectly normal at birth and often look perfectly normal on ultrasound, but we can do things at birth to improve their outcomes. That positive predictive value went from one in five to one in two, 50%, which um, very impressive. And both of those papers were just published uh, online and they'll be published in the American Journal of OBGYN in the last two weeks. What what accounted for that, that drastic shift in accuracy? Our ability to, to again, with the artificial intelligence, the panorama, and having, and as well as having the results uh, available and knowing. So yeah, it it improved. So quite, quite dramatic. The maybe. third part, which I think we'll come back and talk another day, maybe, um, yeah. is that for an OB, one of the, we much more commonly for OBGYNs to see preeclampsia, high blood pressure pregnancy, preterm birth. And this uh, study also showed that for women whose fetal fraction was very low, and just like if you don't have enough cells on a pap smear, we can't give results, you have to have a repeat pap. For women who had two consecutive no calls with their panorama, they were much more likely to have developed preeclampsia, preterm birth, or stillbirth. Because probably these placentas are crummy, if I can use that term. They're small placentas. So I think you'll see NIPT being used not only to predict risk for aneuploidy, but also for adverse pregnancy outcomes. So very exciting from my standpoint as a high-risk pregnancy specialist. Yeah, that's super, super amazing. And this is where it's going. And one of the things that I admire about the work that you do, Dr. Jasma, and also the work of Natera is that the path is not fully paved. So, you know, like just the reimbursement side of things, I know it's, it's, it's together now, but there's so many things that you guys are, are laying the path on that we need in order to do this type of pre predictive care that doesn't seem to be commonplace uh, in our industry. So kudos to you and the team for the work that you're doing. So when you talk about micro deletions, you know, what are they? And why is it important to screen for them? So microdeletions, and there are a number of them. And the one that I'd really like to focus on today was the 22Q, which is also called DeGeorge syndrome, velocardiofacial syndrome. And it's where there's a small piece of the 22nd chromosome missing. And it has a, a fairly, uh, it's a broad variety, but there's a, fa- a fairly common phenotype associated, but not recognized always until the kids are three or four years old. And so comparing it to trisomy 21, which we've screened for in the past, if I, for example, saw a family who I diagnosed trisomy 21, at birth, if the baby doesn't have any heart birth effects, that baby can go to the regular nursery or it can stay with the mother in the delivery room. The care is no different. And in fact, if we didn't know it had trisomy 21, if I caught that baby, I would know it had at birth. You can recognize it. Conversely, with 22Q, these babies look perfectly normal at birth. I, they're about every 1,500 births. So I've delivered, no doubt, several in my lifetime, but it never knew that I did. Hmm. But if we knew they had 22Q or they're at high risk, their care is altered significantly. So routinely, babies are born, we don't check their calcium level. But half of babies with 22Q have low calcium, which can lead to what we call subclinical seizures. They're seizing, but you can't tell it. Their brain's seizing, but their body isn't. If we know they have that, we can check calcium and give them calcium, reducing the likelihood for bad outcomes in the future. Also, the first thing kids get is vaccinated by the, by the labor and delivery nurse. They give them vaccinations. Two-thirds of kids, three-fourths actually, with 22Q have immune problems. We don't want to vaccinate them. So now here in the first 10 minutes of life, you're altering this kid's care. Third thing, we want to make sure that the palate's checked by an expert because these kids have palate abnormalities and they don't feed well. And finally, a newborn echocardiogram, checking the heart. So we would do four different things for this baby. And there's data coming out of Children's Hospital Philadelphia that demonstrates that for prenatally diagnosed versus those diagnosed at four years of age, typically for 22Q, the outcomes are better. 
So I think that what's impressive for me is that now we have some, a way to screen for a condition that we can't even identify at birth routinely, but we can improve the outcomes for these families. I think that's fantastic. My question is, is this currently standard of care? Standard of care. So it's a <laughs> standard of care. It's commonly done. So over, uh, we're the leader in, in terms of NIPT and over well over half of the physicians, OBGYNs, my colleagues order 22Q with their NIPT. So in that way, you could say, well, it's pretty standard. That being said, my specialty organization of American College OBGYN and my subspecialty society of maternal fetal medicine at this time do not support 22Q screening. Gotcha. Gotcha. So there's some work to be done there. Yes, there sure is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's gaps like this everywhere. This is just one that, you know, you guys are working on to make it better. I was recently learning about ROP when, when infants get too much oxygen, right? Something that we could tease out and find ways to improve. And I get super excited when we have thought leaders like you, Dr. Jelsima leading the way and finding ways to close those gaps. So appreciate the work you're doing for, for our country. And also for the world, because you guys do do apply this stuff worldwide. Yep. So ROP, if I can just say, so that's so we saved 1963. President Kennedy had a baby die at 34 weeks of pregnancy. His wife, uh, Jackie, delivered pretty much three weeks early by C-section and the baby died from oxygen issues. That led to the formation of neonatal. And we started giving babies lots of oxygen, which led to blindness. Stevie Wonder is an example of that, the musician. Oh, now is, we, was he one of them? Oh, yeah, I've that's what I've been told. I may be wrong, but that's, that's okay. what we were told in med school and residency. Great. But there are a lot of people who had that. But now we've learned that we can back off on the action. So what saved a lot of lives, the action resulted in injury. So we continually yeah. work towards improving outcomes. And that's our goal here at Natera as well, to improve outcomes for babies, for moms, for families. Yeah, that's beautiful. And that's what we're all about. So how's Natera ensuring patients and providers get the most out of NIPT, non-invasive prenatal testing. Sure. Regarding patients, we have the availability of what Sheffel Palmer talked about on your prior podcast with regard to pre-counseling, pre-test counseling. So a patient who does, who's thinking about having the test can talk to a genetic counselor and say, hey, what's the accuracy of this test? What's this test tell? That's free of charge. After they get results back, sometimes there's a lag between getting a positive result back and being able to see somebody like myself. And they can call and hear positive, hopefully good information from them versus finding it on the internet. And all, a lot of educational services, pamphlets, brochures, and that like for patients. From a physician standpoint, um, Sheathel's team and my team, we have four medical directors in women's health, are actively ed- trying to educate our colleagues, family medicine physicians who do obstetrics, midwives, OBGYNs, about NIPT and the benefits that it can bring to their families. Beautiful. This has been truly informative. And I know at the same time, for many people listening, you're like, wow, that was so great, but how can I learn more? So I think this is a great opportunity, Dr. Jessima, to say, first of all, thank you for such an informative session and to open the door for a connection here. Where, where can folks go to learn more and how could people learn more about you and, and the work that you do? Yeah, I think you can go to natera.com. Our website lists all of our medical directors and um, you know, you can connect through that's probably the easiest way. Excellent. Well, hey, really, really appreciate you jumping on today and, and educating us. This has been fantastic. You're welcome, sir. 
A leader in personalized genetic testing, Natera combines its cell-free DNA platform with cutting-edge technology and a focus on real-world data to transform what's possible during people's most critical health moments. Natera has applied its core technology to the areas of women's health, oncology, and organ health, helping millions of people manage their disease from a simple non-invasive blood test. If you're interested in learning more about how Natera is revolutionizing the standard of medical care, visit natera.com. That's N-A-T-E-R-A.com.